And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to the hunt, well, not the hunt day edition, though, that was yesterday. This is the second best day of the week edition of the Real Investment Show. Of course, it's also the post-FOMC Fed meeting. Um, as we discussed yesterday, and of course, Michael Leibowitz joining me this morning, although he's a little bit under the weather today, um, we suggested that the Fed would likely be a tad more hawkish uh, than they were at the previous meeting because of that Brookings Institution speech that Jerome Powell made about three weeks ago that sent the markets up 3.1% for the day on this idea that the, mar the Fed was becoming dovish and they were about to pivot in monetary policy. We said yesterday that the Fed would not make that mistake again and that Jerome Powell was likely going to be a tad more hawkish. And a tad more hawkish he was as, of course, he stated not only will he potentially raise rates higher than what the, currently market, uh, what the market currently expects, 5.1 percent now kind of being the terminal rate, um, but also they're going to leave him there. And, and that can stay that way all year long. And, and of course, with that news, the market did sell off. Now, remember, this has been an interesting week so far. Um, Monday and, and Tuesday, we kind of bounced right off that 100-day moving average. And on Tuesday, the market, sorry, on Monday, the market rallied because as the market rallied uh, late Monday afternoon, it was anticipation of this weaker than expected CPI report. That CPI report came in on Tuesday, weaker than expected, inflation falling to 7.1%, and the market jumped by 3% Tuesday morning and then sold off all day long. Um, yesterday, with the sell-off that occurred late afternoon following the, the FOMC speech, uh, the market has now given up the entirety of that entire jump in the market from the CPI number. So we've just completely reversed all of Tuesday's action. Sitting back on the 20-day moving average, now we're still, now besides this sell-off we've had over the last two days, markets are still positive for the week, just barely. But again, Monday's positive action is still there. And, and But unfortunately this morning, at least right now, futures are pointing about 1% lower this morning on the S&P. So we're potentially gonna give that up this morning as well. Um, and retest this 100-day moving average. But, you know, I, I can't, you know, you know, stress this enough at this point is that this 100-day moving average has been the actual kind of support for this market here over the last, really, since about the beginning of November. The markets have really not gone much of anywhere at this point. And we just really continue just to kind of grind sideways here, not making any real advance. So that's, that's actually kind of good news, bad news. First of all, the good news is, is that consolidation ranges will get broken at some point. The question is, do they get broken to the upside or the downside? Um, with a sell signal in place right now, which we still have in uh, markets, you know, not extremely oversold, they're not extremely overbought either. We're really kind of just in limbo at the moment. We're also moving into the end of the year here as well as we've talked about, you know, this kind of a year-end potential Santa Claus window dressing rally. That will actually start on Monday if we're going to get it. The question, of course, is whether or not Santa Claus will visit Broad and Wall this year. Uh, usually is the case. Um, hopefully we've been good boys and girls this year, but 
Um, we could wind up with a lump of coal. It does happen. Uh, but a lot will depend here on economic data, what happens here in the next few days. And speaking of economic data, today we have a huge list of economic data, retail sales, jobless claims. Uh, the list, well, well, I'll go through the whole list this morning, but there is just a capacity utilization, industrial production. I mean, there's just so much economic data coming out today. It is literally just a deluge of data that is going to weigh on markets. Uh, again, and then on top of already what's going on uh, with a much more hawkish Fed. So again, uh, this market action could be anywhere today. And another reason, of course, as we said yesterday, um, not only do we have all this data, we have the more hawkish Fed. Tomorrow is also a $3.2 trillion option expiration date, one of those very large options expiration periods. So again, between today and tomorrow, there's going to be a lot of positioning in portfolios by managers uh, preparing to roll over options, you know, having to buy stock, sell stock, et cetera, depending on what contracts they have. So there is no, there's no telling where this market's going to wind up by the end of the week. So just again, you know, we've talked about repeatedly using these little rallies to, um, you know, raise some cash. And that's been good advice. You know, we, we advise not to chase the CPI FOMC meeting, expecting a more dovish outcome. That turned out to be good advice. And, and again, you know, just kind of holding a little bit underweight exposure here has been helpful just to try to navigate, you know, this, this volatility that we've had. So, uh, again, you know, this is just one of those periods in the markets that are that are difficult, and I know it's challenging and it's boring because we're not really doing anything. <laughs> Nothing really kind of goes anywhere. Uh, again, good news, bad news. Um, if the market can break out to the upside of this consolidation, that typically leads to a further advance. So, you know, 42, 4300 on the index would certainly be logical if we can make that breakout here over the course of the next, you know, couple of weeks and, and into the first of January, as we've said. Uh, 1st of January, there are more money inflows into the markets in January than every other month combined. It is just a huge amount of money that comes into the markets right at the beginning of the year for placements, 401k contributions, etc. It's just, it's just a ton of money. Uh, that's why typically you get kind of a big surge in the markets right in the first five days of January, which typically leads to a stronger month. And that's kind of the, you know, you've heard the, the old rumors uh, or the old sayings go, you know, so goes the month of January. So goes the year, so goes the first five days, so goes the month of January. Uh, that's because of these money flows uh, that are coming into the market. So again, a breakout of this consolidation to the upside, that'll be bullish. Um, we've, got a, we've got some work to do though. Uh, again, we've got a very elevated buy signal that needs to come down. We need to work off some of the, the previous overbought conditions. We've had a decent rally you know, from the lows of September. So again, to make this move higher, we need to do a little bit more work first, but a break lower, um, that won't be good. Um, and, and unfortunately, a lot of that will depend on what happens next year. If we don't have a recession next year, and this is something Mike and I will touch on again probably this morning at some point, is this whole idea of recession, no recession. No matter how we look at the data, it certainly looks like, and now with the Fed saying, hey, we're going to hike rates even higher and hold them there, it certainly looks like a recession is almost inevitable uh, come next year. If that's the case, markets do have more work to the downside because a recession will lower earnings, prices have to come down, et cetera. I've got a whole article on this tomorrow, by the way, uh, setting price targets out for 2023 based on valuation. So we'll have that out in the morning for you on the website at realinvestmentadvice.com. 
But if we have no recession next year, and how we manage that soft landing, I have no idea. But if we do happen to manage a soft landing, then really probably we've seen the lows of the markets. And that's what history suggests anyway. We've got a chart out on that on Twitter this morning. Uh, so go by our Twitter account, at Lance Roberts, right there on Twitter. Um, and again, get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Make sure you subscribe to our daily commentary, our weekly newsletter. Uh, that keeps you up to date and informed about everything we do. And of course, this week and then tomorrow, we'll have our blog post out on market targets for 2023. Okay, quick break. We're going to come back. Lots of stuff to get into with the Fed. What did Jerome Powell say yesterday? What did he mean? Uh, what about raising this inflation target idea, right? That actually came up in a question as well. We'll call, get into all of that with uh, Michael Leibowitz right after the break, right here on The Real Investment Show. daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. In 1999, a parafiduciary group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients' best interest. These men promptly escaped from a high-cost margin environment to the Houston Energy Corridor. Today, still excoriated by their former employers, they survive as protectors of others' fortunes. If you have a problem about preserving capital, if no one else can help, and you can find them right here, maybe you should hire the RIA team. The Real Investment Show. Welcome back to uh, this morning's edition at 617, uh, getting this morning underway. As I said, there's a whole long laundry list of economic data out today that runs between 730 this morning Central Time and about 10, about 9 o'clock this morning Central Time. Empire Manufacturing, that's the New York Med, uh, Fed Manufacturing Index. We'll see what that says. That's expected to decline into negative territory below zero as contractionary territory. Uh, retail sales across the board. Now, we're going to have retail sales, the advanced estimate today, uh, you know, excluding auto sales, excluding auto and gas, a control group. Um, this is going to be our first kind of, of look. Now, this is the advanced number, and we'll get a, another retail sales number that is kind of post the advance uh, later. But this is going to be the first look we have at November. Now, remember, in November, uh, Adobe and a lot of these other retail sales tracking firms, they were like, oh, retail sales were awesome during Thanksgiving because we did $9.2 in sales, which was up, you know, 3% from last year. What they forget to tell you is, is that inflation's up 8 <laughs> So actually sales declined by 5%, but, you know, people were spending more to buy less stuff, right? So this is, you know, kind of the important, but we'll get... We'll get all those numbers out this morning, but this is going to be the first real look at the health of the consumer, so to speak. And if that comes in much weaker than expected, that may weigh on markets a bit today. Uh, Philly Fed Business Outlook Index. We've got continuing claims today as well. Continuing claims have been rising here and jobless claims as well, just ticking up slightly. Not a lot, 
uh, you know, nothing here to be overly concerned about. But we are starting to see that pressure um, of layoffs starting to actually filter into some of these <clears throat> and, uh, jobless claims numbers. Capacity utilization, manufacturing, production index, um, that's expected to fall into neg negative territory as well. So, again, this whole idea of a recession next year, slowdown, still seeing that filter into some of this economic data. And then, of course, we'll have the Treasury flows uh, today as well. So anyway, lots of stuff happening today that are certainly going to move markets, but nothing more so than what happened yesterday, of course, with Jerome Powell, the Fed meeting. A um, couple of interesting things came out of that, but let's get into just kind of the, the, the rough overview of it first. Um, Fed came out, hiked 50 basis points as expected. What the markets weren't prepared for was a bit more hawkish commentary. And as, and as I said in the opening uh, segment, you know, this was what Mike and I expected after the misinterpretation of his speech at the Brookings Institute. We said that most likely he was going to be a lot more hawkish because he didn't want to make that. He didn't want to leave the markets any question about potentially pivots being on the on on the table anywhere. What Jerome Powell said yesterday was very interesting because he came out, he did hike rates by 50 basis points. And more importantly, what happened was that he raised the potential rate that the Fed could hike to. Now, this is called the terminal rate. The terminal rate is, is the maximum rate where everybody thinks the Fed is going to be moving themselves to. Um, that moved up to 5.1%. Now, already, Fed fund futures are, are we're, we're predicting less than 5% by next year. So this is actually more than even where the Fed was predicting. But interestingly enough, markets are still predicting that the Fed is going to be cutting rates by the middle part of next year. And, these Fed, and the Fed will be cutting interest rates um, and, and doing this official pivot, right? But the Federal Reserve was pretty clear about making saying, hey, we're going to leave rates at these higher levels all year long, not wanting to leave any, any misperception to the markets that they're going to pivot anytime soon. Right. So I thought the most telling, I mean, Powell, what Powell said that same thing multiple times throughout his press conference, that the Fed wasn't even thinking about thinking about uh, pivoting. We've heard thinking about thinking make sure prior, and we know that that has only so much weight. But regardless, we have to, you know, we kind of live Fed meeting to Fed meeting, so we got to take it for what it is. And every quarter they put out projections on where they think unemployment, interest rates, uh, GDP, and Fed funds will be. And what I thought was most interesting is that for 2023, the range of estimates for Fed funds was from 4.9 to 5.6. So that means that the Fed will raise rates at least two and a half, you know, two, two, two more 25 basis point increments and another 50-50 shot of one more and leave them there all year. That's what they're telling you. Mm -hmm. And more interesting, those numbers, those projections are higher than they want, were when they made those projections in September. So what's happened between September and today? And we've had two very good CPI reports, one good PCE report. So even though the inflation outlook actually improved, their outlook on Fed funds went higher and flatter for longer, no pivot. So to me, and Powell has said this a lot of times, I'm not just kind of guessing, this is about labor. And they're very concerned that the tight labor market 
is very inflationary and will stop them from getting inflation to their goal. Yep. Lance, remember, their goal is 2%. We're at 7.1%, 7.3%. Even if inflation comes down at a decent clip, getting it to 2% is going to take a long time. And they have a lot at risk here. If they if they say okay it's down to four percent four and a half percent time to start lowering rates and they're wrong and inflation bounces that's going to be the second time in a few years they've been wrong remember yeah. the old transitory inflation yep proved to be not so transitory so so they have their credibility on the line here and you know as we've said unless something breaks the economy craters the markets crater or a financial institution is failing a country is failing in some sorts or, you know, something like that, the Fed is going to leave rates where they're at. It's it's hard to, based on everything Powell said yesterday, and the fact that all the Fed members, based on the dot plots, seem to be on, on board with him, they seem committed to getting inflation back to 2% and willing to cause a recession. Yeah, uh, just real quick, uh, let me interrupt you here because uh, we have some breaking news right now. The Bank of England just hiked rates by 50 basis points as well. And I think the statement here is even um, you know important because this kind of goes right along with what the Fed said, is that they're going to continue to respond forcefully if needed. And, you know, this is this, you know, and again, it's and the important takeaway here. It's not just the Fed hiking rates. So when we look at What's happening in the financial markets and with the economy and all this, you know, there's a lot of hope here that this time is different. I was, you know, several articles written over the past week about, you know, the yield curve's wrong this time because of this, that, or the other reason. We're not going to have a recession. But, you know, you it's not just the Federal Reserve hiking rates, the Bank of England's hiking rates, the ECB's hiking rates. You've got monetary tightening going on everywhere in the world to combat this inflation. And it doesn't seem like this is going to be an isolated event here in the U.S. where you have a U.S. recession. It looks like we're heading more towards a potential risk of a global recession if every if every major central bank is on the same path of hiking rates until something breaks. Um, it seems the out the outcome risk is much more negative than maybe markets may be factoring in right now. Yeah, and the other thing we didn't hear the word QT yesterday. Right, QT is what drives liquidity. As they continue to do QT, they're removing liquidity from a financial system that is highly levered, from an economy that is highly levered. And we're going to see start seeing more and more cracks in the system. It's not just going to be the FTXs and the, uh, you know, kind of the far off players. You're going to start seeing some of those cracks start showing up earlier. And some of it is just going to be in lower earnings. Mm -hmm. Some of it is going to, you know, it, it's going to show up all over the place. And as far as the Fed is away from lowering interest rates, I think they're even further from QE or QT, again, unless something breaks. Well, I think that's the, I think that's the big risk, right? You know, it's, it's, you know, there's a lot of hope that the Fed's going to pivot. And, and again, you know, I, I think there's a big misnomer um, that's happened within the markets is, you know, every time we have a decent report come out, the market surges higher as market, you know, as people run in and start buying stocks on this idea the Fed's about to pivot. Well, stopping hiking rates is not a pivot. That's that's not a pivot. A pivot is when you turn around, right? So a pivot is when they start cutting rates. And, and what Mike is saying, and he's absolutely right, is 
for what reason would the Fed start, if, put it this way, if the Fed hikes rates to 5% and something starts to, you know, and they say, you know what, we're not going to hike rates anymore for whatever reason, right? They just stop it. Say they stopped it where they were yesterday, 4.5%, and they go, you know what, we're not going to hike rates anymore. We're just going to leave them here at 4.5%. Well, that impact of higher rates is going to impact the economy. The economy is going to slow down. But as long as the economy doesn't fall into a big recession or as long as the economy doesn't you know, financially break, right, you have a credit crisis, something like this, you know, as long as everything's doing okay, right, you have a soft landing in the economy, there's no reason to cut rates, right? There's no reason to stop doing QT. And that would actually be the best scenario in the world for the Federal Reserve. They could get rates to 4.5%. Money market funds are paying a decent return to savers for a change. Inflation comes down. The economy slows down a bit but doesn't go into a recession. They're able to milk their balance sheet down back to a trillion dollars where it's supposed to be. That's that's nirvana, right? That's the best thing ever for the Fed. They are completely reloaded for whatever next major event occurs down the road somewhere. But that's not going to happen. <laughs> you know, that's that's not going to be the outcome here. The only reason the Fed is going to pivot and stop doing quantitative tightening is because something breaks. Either you have a very bad recession or something worse. We'll talk about uh, coming back from the break. I want to get into a little bit of some of the economic data that's all kind of feeding into this whole narrative as well. So don't go away. More coming up with Michael Leibowitz right after the break. Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. In 1999, a parafiduciary group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients' best interest. These men promptly escaped from a high cost margin environment to the Houston Energy Corridor. Today, still excoriated by their former employers, they survive as protectors of others' fortunes. If you have a problem about preserving capital, if no one else can help, and you can find them right here, maybe you should hire the RIA team. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. So uh, my wife's traveling. And uh, she flew to Canada. She has, she's in Quebec right now um, on, for work. And, and she's up there looking at some skids and the LNG bunkering that she's working on with a company in Quebec. Does she speak French? No, but that was the interesting thing. So she gets up there and she goes, <laughs> <laughs> I love my wife dearly. She, she called me up. She goes, everybody speaks French up here. I go, yes, honey. They're a French, <laughs> they're a French colony. She goes, I never knew that. Yeah, but the hotel. But you know, I tell, you know, I always talk on the show about how my wife loves Christmas trees, right? Yes. If, if she has her way, we would have a Christmas tree lot in our front yard every year. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, this hotel that she's in—it's this kind of old castle that's been renovated into a very nice hotel. And in the lobby, they have 25, 25 days of Christmas, twenty-five Christmas trees, all decorated differently. Yes. So every about every hour on the hour, I'm getting a picture of a different Christmas tree <laughs> on my phone. Every time she goes into the hotel, I'm getting a different picture. So new tree. Yeah. 
I'm like, no, you cannot bring them home with you. I, I've been <laughs> so, to that hotel. Really? It's a very cool place. Yeah, and she's she's loving it. And, and going to Quebec City is like going to Europe. Best story though. So the company that she's with, yeah, took her out to dinner last night, and so and, and it's and it's one of these kind of prefix yes. type menus and things. So they go to this very nice French restaurant. And now I've told you the story about how my wife has this huge affinity for ducks, right? It's just, yes. she, she just loves ducks. And, 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 you know, when she <laughs> dies, she wants to be buried with a bunch of ducks. I mean, it's just her. She is just over the moon about she thinks they're just the cutest things ever. Right. If you ever if you ever driving down the road and you see ducks crossing the street, my wife will literally stop the car <laughs> and watch the ducks. I mean, she's just just totally mesmerized by ducks. So anyway, they get to dinner last night, and, and they're all sitting around dinner, and the appetizer comes out, which is what? Guess what? Duck! Fagwa! <laughs> and, and of course, she's like, what's this? And so they go, oh, it's fagwa. And she goes, that's duck liver, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, the rest of the dinner was downhill right from there. So <laughs> anyway... And the only thing that made it better was when they brought the snails out. So <laughs> anyway, all right, back to work. Christmas trees and snails. Um, so just for the break, talking a little bit about, look, the Fed's going to hike rates. And the, and the issue is, is they're going to hike rates to the point that they break something. And look, there's a lot of economic data. If we take a look at the leading economic index, which is one of the better indicators about the economy, and what we look at is the six-month rate of change. That indicator, which has a, a, a near perfect track record of predicting recessions, is predicting a recession. 80 per, so Mike and I, we track 10 different yield curves that we consider to be economically sensitive. So this is the three-month, 10-month, the one-year, three-year, the 10-year, two-year, the five-year, one-year, right? All these, you know, we, we, you know I, I took, uh, when we built this index, we went and, you know, talked to all the smart people in the world, you know, Jeff Gunlack and others, and said, what are your favorite indicators uh, for yield curves, and we took all those different yield curves, threw them into one indicator, 10 different yield curves, economically, 80% of those are now inverted, right? When you're above 50%, you always have a recession. Now, could this time be different? Yes, there's always the possibility this time could be different, but this is what, you know, this is the challenge, and I, and I said this in the opening segment, that Mike and I struggle with right now, is how on earth do we avoid a recession? You know, it's possible we can avoid a recession, but for the life of me, I can't figure out the environment it would take to avoid a recession when you have the Fed hiking rates. You've got, you know, and, and the goal is to bring down inflation by slowing economic demand, increasing unemployment. How do you do that without pushing the economy into a recession? Mike, that's the, the big challenge here. And, and the th one thing that, you know, kind of seems very hard to figure out how we navigate that. Yeah, that was uh, my article that came out yesterday. It talked about the yield curve being the foghorn for the market. And the foghorn blows when a, when a boat is getting a little too close to the coast. It doesn't blow when the ship is rubbing up against the reef and it's scraping the hull. Right. So the foghorn gives you warning. And the yield curves give you warning. And and what's troubling for me is that when you go back and look at the yield curves, and I, I was looking at the three-month, 10-year yield curve, and I did that because that's the one the Fed says they follow closely. 
every time, the last eight times it's inverted, every time it uninverted, so it went from a negative number, so the three-month yield was higher than the 10-year, to a point where the 10-year was higher than the three-year, it was followed by a recession, a decent drawdown in stock prices, and a decent uh, decline in earnings per share for stocks. So, you know, the evidence is overwhelming, and that's fine. And and we 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 need to consider that as a distinct possibility. And there's other there's other data too that's kind of pointing in the same direction, that when yield curves uninvert, they do the whole the whole inversion and uninversion is a very V-shaped process. It happens quickly. It ends quickly. So how does it end quickly? And the the really the only way I can think of. That makes sense. You know, there's obviously a million ways it can happen, but the only way that makes sense is if the Fed is high, is uh, lowering rates aggressively. So right now, the Fed's telling you they're not lowering rates for at least a year. In fact, they're going to raise them two or three more times going into the spring. So the curve will continue to invert more, assuming the Fed does what they say they're going to do. So now we're going to be at at a, curve inversions that we haven't seen in 40 plus years. And we're to believe that the curve is going to uninvert or steepen. The only way, again, that happens if the Fed aggressively lowers rates, the Fed's not going to do that unless inflation is just plummeting, you know, something breaking and the economy is very weak. Yeah. So it's it, it's hard to, to come up with some other answer because every other answer means that it's you know if we have this goldilocks economy and unemployment doesn't go up too much and the stock market can stay where it is or even go higher you're fueling inflation you're you're not you're not creating 8% inflation but you're but by do by keeping the economy stable by keeping the labor market firm you're not allowing inflation to really drop to where the fed wants it to drop and that's kind of the that's the rub here is that all these kind of more Goldilocks or rosy scenarios we come up with doesn't get the Fed to their goal. And you have this inversion that lasts and lasts and inversions don't last. They they bounce. Yeah. They bounce quickly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let so, me read to you something from Yahoo Finance this morning. Uh, Miles Udlin wrote this uh, article this morning. The Federal Reserve expects an economic downturn next year, but just don't call it a recession. In the latest summary of economic projections released yesterday, Fed officials said they expect GDP growth at the end of next year to stand at just one half of 1%, while the unemployment rate is set to rise from the current level of 37 to 4.6%. Those projections are released alongside the latest monetary policy decision. Here's the problem with these projections. The Fed really can't tell you what they're really thinking. Um, and I track these projections every six weeks when they release them. And I just posted a chart out on Twitter this morning or table of every projection they've ever made going back to 2011 when they started this nonsense. They're never right. Um, <laughs> they always start high and they go low and, th and they say, OK, next year, you know, economic growth will be a half a percent. By the time we get to the end of next year, it'll be negative two percent, whatever it's going to be. Um, but imagine and, and this is why these economic projections are pointless. Um, for the Fed to put out. I'm not even sure why they do it. Let's assume that the Fed was honest about it and they said, you know what, next year we think uh, unemployment rate's going to be 5 to 6%. Um, economic growth is going to have to be somewhere north of negative 2%, right? Well, immediately, you know, the market wouldn't be down, you know, 40 points yesterday 
and be down 600 points yesterday because markets would immediately respond to that negative you know, view uh, because they're the Fed. And if the Fed's saying they're about to put the economy into a very negative recession, I'm out now. So it, it would create a self-fulfilling prophecy of creating a recession. That's the, and that's why these, these projections are – you really have to take them a grain of salt because they're never right. They're always overestimated. By the time reality gets here, the markets have hopefully adjusted for it, and then the numbers kind of filter in, and they bring they constantly ratchet down their their numbers. You know, six weeks from now, that number won't be half a percent; it'll be zero percent growth. Um, a year, you know, eight months from now, ten months from now, when we're in a recession, that number will eventually go negative. So they will track what's actually happening in the economy, but it won't be a prediction of what's happening in the economy, which is makes the projections kind of pointless to start with. But, you know, that's but but Mike, you know, that's the real point here is that in order to get those unemployment rates up, you've got to slow demand enough that it's going to create a real drag on the economy. And a lot of these manufacturing indexes, a lot of these other economic reports we're getting out are already starting to, to send off recessionary signals. It's almost just a function of time until we get there. I think it's all about the labor market. I think the Fed, at least in the Fed's mind, mm -hmm. they've made it very clear that the labor market is too tight, that wages are growing too strong for their liking, and that at the end of the day, when people get raises, they spend more, creates more demand. And that's that's what they're trying to ultimately do. So, you know, I, I think the most important data coming out will probably still be inflation, but very close second is labor data. Um, so... Yeah, real quick, uh, before, when we come back for the break, Mike, uh, touch a little bit on, we'll talk a little bit about market reactions. Uh, market reactions actually fairly muted relative to what's going on uh, with a lot of these announcements. Markets were down slightly yesterday. They're down about a percent this morning. But honestly, with the hawkishness of the speech, you would have kind of thought it would have been a lot more. We'll talk about why coming back from the break. Investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. In 1999, a parafiduciary group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients' best interest. These men promptly escaped from a high cost margin environment to the Houston Energy Corridor. Today, still excoriated by their former employers, they survive as protectors of others' fortunes. If you have a problem about preserving capital, if no one else can help, and you can find them right here, maybe you should hire the RIA team. The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. So markets are pointing down about 1% this morning. Uh, at the open, anyway. Um, one of the interesting things, though, is that really market reaction um, over the last couple of days has been fairly interesting. So we had that CPI report coming in weaker than expected. On Tuesday, the market surged 3% in the morning and then sold off all day. Um, did finish up about 40, 50 basis points. 
um, by the end of the day. So we did have a positive outcome. But uh, again, really, the bulk of the day was net selling. It, it really wasn't that positive of a reaction uh, to the weaker-than-expected CPI report. Then on Tuesday, uh, markets were trading positively. The Fed comes out. We were up about 40, 40 points on the S&P on, uh, yesterday. Fed comes out, makes their announcement, and the market sells off, and we close the day down about 40 points. So, you know, really, though, given the hawkishness of the speech and what was going on, the, the market reaction has been very interesting We've gone nowhere now for the last month and over a month, right? So since November the 8th, we've really gone nowhere in this market and have just been kind of trading sideways within a fairly tight trading range, uh, you know, just above the 100-day moving average and just below the 200-day moving average. We're going to be back to the 100-day moving average again today. We'll see what happens. But, you know, Mike, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. It's, it's you, know, just, you know, whether it's good news or bad news, markets are really kind of just stuck here and it's like nobody really wants to do much of anything at this point yeah but it, it also feels like year-end uh type trading is taking over yeah a lot of mutual funds a lot of hedge funds a lot of individual investors take actions at year-end that can move markets one way or the other and kind of mask what may be the underlying trend mm -hmm. so uh, you know, I, I think there's no reason to think that this year will be any different. So the next few weeks, we may just stay in this range that we've been chopping around in. We we may we may bump out of it on the downside. We may bump out on the upside. But the closer you get to Christmas and New Year's, the less trading activity there is, and the more the odds that we just kind of start flatlining into the into the new year. Okay. So for me, my my bigger focus is what happens next year. If we go back a year, one of the first trades we made was to reduce our exposure, and that was based on the Fed. We thought the Fed would be hawkish. We had no idea at the time how hawkish, <laughs> but we knew they were going to turn hawkish. We knew that QT was eventually in the cards, and we thought it was time to reduce our exposure because the Fed, we were, we were watching the Fed, and the Fed was telling us to reduce your exposure. We're raising rates here. We're going to be hawkish. So, so we make a full year, rates are where they're at, which is higher than anyone expected they would be. And we're left to contemplate with what will the Fed do this year? And, you know, we, we've kind of laid that out, what the Fed will do, what they will do in emergency, what they will do if everything's hunky-dory. And as long as QT goes on, you, you kind of, to some degree, have to assume that the trend is lower. But again, it doesn't mean it's lower every day. It doesn't mean we drop every day. There are decent periods with, with good rallies. And we've seen that over the last uh, month or two. You know, we, we've come decently off the lows. And, you know, what the next few weeks holds, I don't know. But but again, I'm kind of keeping an eye on the Fed, what they're doing, how, they're, how their tone is changing, how their rhetoric changes to take direction for kind of the longer term for the first quarter of next year. Um, you know, and this is this, and again, you know, this is kind of the interesting thing. You know, it's it's all about you know trying to figure out what thing. And, and look, predictions into the future, or by the way, just when Mike and I talk about stuff, you know, we're not really predicting anything. We're trying to just picture, you know, where we think things could happen. But you know, anybody that tells you they know where the market's going to be next year is full of it, right? Because you know, knowing what the market's going to do a week from now. 
is you know almost impossible because so many things can happen. I mean, you know, tomorrow the Fed could come out and say, you know what, guess what? We're teasing, changing our mind. We're going to cut rates. You know, and the market takes off screaming, right? So any prediction you make is is got to be you know understood that you know we're making some bets for the future, but those bets are going to change as soon as the data tells us that we need to do something differently. So. You know, that's that's the managing money part. You know, we're not bullish or bearish. We don't really care, you know, one side or the other. You know, we're just trying to navigate what the market tells us, you know. But, you know, part of that does involve, you know, having to make some guesses at where we think things are headed so we can make some adjustments in portfolios. And I think, and, and Mike, this kind of, you know, as we move into next year and we start thinking about, okay, let's, you know, let's talk about portfolio allocation and let's think about, you know, where do we want to be? Do we want to be value? Do we want to be growth? You know, there's there's some cases to be made on both sides of the argument, right? So you know, from the growth side, I kind of like a lot of the I like some of the growth companies that have good strong balance sheets, good strong earnings growth, that you know will probably fare better earnings growth wise in a disinflationary environment, which I think we'll have next year as inflation continues to come down, and potentially we get in a recession, right? So I'd, I'd like some companies in the portfolio to do that. But I do like value companies. The problem with value companies, and a good example of this is Campbell Soup. The problem, and, and, and Mike, you've written about this before with Coca-Cola and McDonald's and others. Right. You know, these value companies, these, these you know, big staples companies that are considered to be safe havens, they're so expensive. You know, a good example here, you know, sales for Campbell Soup, right? Can't, boring company, right? They make soup, right? But everybody <laughs> eats soup. Cream of mushroom, got to have that for a green bean casserole for Christmas, right? Um, but sales for Campbell Soup starting in 2019 were 8.1 billion. Four years later, they're 8.2 billion. They're not growing, right? Sales have been flat now for roughly four years, going on five years. Earnings per share, not really growing. And in fact, earnings per share dropped from 333 to 252 last year. Stock trades at 21 times earnings. So, so it's carrying a, a multiple that you would normally, and, and price to earnings growth is nearly four and a half times price to earnings growth. So, you know, you're looking at a company that's a very boring, staple company trading at tech valuations. You know, that, that seems to be a bit of a risk um, on the value side going into next year if we get into an environment where earnings do start to slow down, economy gets into a recession, that a lot of these Proceed value safety trades where people kind of hide out recessionary environments may actually wind up getting hit as people start readjusting for real earnings growth. Right. The key is to find value within value. And then there's a problem with that. So when you start stripping out the Campbell's and the Cokes and the McDonald's and, and some of those companies that that have the value name, but they're really not value. They have their valuation ratios are too high. You start dealing with smaller cap companies that are not in the large ETFs, not in the large mutual funds. That is where all the money is flowing into. So this all boils down to a passive versus active uh, conversation as well. Are you willing to invest in true value companies that are not widely held? Now, their earnings may hold up just fine, but how will if the money flows from everyone's 401k and everyone's other investments continually flow into S&P 500 value, large cap value, then that's where the flows are going to go. And these little stocks can just languish, mm -hmm. even though they they represent true value. Right. I mean, we put out every week in Simplevisor, 
not every week is value-based, but we've put out a lot that are value companies that no one's ever heard of that trade trade a PEs of four or five. <laughs> and if you look, their prices are just not going anywhere. Right. Well, and again, you know, uh, McDonald's um, is a good example. We were talking about that. You know, sales were twenty-two billion in twenty seventeen. They're twenty-two billion in twenty twenty-one. Um, stock trades at a five times peg and the price to sales of almost nine. I mean, that's that's tech stock territory, you know, all day right. long. And, you know, if a company trades above two times price to sales, you've got to manufacture earnings growth of almost 100 percent or more a year. And this is a company that's not growing earnings at all. Uh, but you're, to your point, it's it's because it's in all these ETFs that you buy an S&P 500 ETF. McDonald's get its gets its share of cash flows. You know, and this passive indexing has really distorted markets a lot to make it much more difficult to be a value investor or to be a fundamental investor. You almost have to just follow the flows of, of passive investing in this market. Yeah, and, and it's, you know, we're both value, you know, we both love finding value stocks, but you, you have to understand what's in vogue in the market, what's moving the market, where the flows are going. And you know, sometimes you have to settle for value that's not always value, like we've done this year, and it's helped us a lot. But but again, you know, as we look forward to next year, will those same value stocks, especially if we're in a recession, be able to hold hold their own? And the answer for next year may be that those those technology companies, the high growth companies that have been so beaten up this year, may be the safer place. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, you know, again, that's going to be something for next year. Uh, be sure to get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com today. Mike's article uh, is out talking about the foghorn warning, and it is a really good piece. There's some very good charts about liquidity and markets and, and yield curves in there. Um, but it's on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. Make sure you're also subscribed to our daily commentary. We put a lot of this stuff out. Uh, in a very quick, easy-to-read format every morning, and we email it to you right at 7.30. So if you're subscribed to our email list, you'll get an email right at 7.30 every morning before the market opens. Kind of gives you, We have a chart in there, kind of our trading update, what the market's doing, what it did yesterday, what we expect it to do. You know, Should you be taking profits? Should you be adding equity risk? That's all in there. We email it to you every morning. Um, so just get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Right there on the homepage, you can subscribe to our newsletter, our daily commentary, get our latest blog post, our, subscribe to our radio show so you get notified when we post videos. All that right there on the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Mike, thank you so much for your time today. Get to feeling better. And, of course, uh, join us again tomorrow morning. Uh, Danny Ratliff and Richard Rosso for Financial Fitness Friday right here on The Real Investment Show, realinvestmentadvice.com.